You're listening to the cycling podcast Femina, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Hello and welcome to the Cycling Podcast Feminine November edition. My name is Rose Manley and uh, I'm joined by two smiling faces, Orla Shenoui. Hello, hello. <laughs> I've got even smiling. Went a little bit manic there. <laughs> yes, I know. That was, maybe that was a mistake. Uh, and Lizzie Banks, it's lovely to see a smile on your face, Lizzie, because I know you've got some good news. Hello. Yes, I do have good news. I'm back on the bike and uh, I, I just made just made this uh, rendezvous for the podcast because I was quite severely bonking I have to say which is a happy place to be after the last six months but uh no very happy to be on the back on the bike and uh yeah busy bonking away right now but I'm (laughs) hoping that I will make it through the podcast (laughs) I'm glad our listeners are well versed in cycling terminology yes Um, but I did think that earlier Lizzie actually because we were whatsapping each other trying to get the timing right and you said oh I'm about I'm bonking but I'll I'll make sure I make it and I thought, isn't that wonderful that you're bonking again? It's brilliant. I know. That's what I thought. I have to say, the, the childishness in me, I was going to say like, oh, too much information, Lizzie. But then I was like, no, <laughs> be a grown yeah, up. Well done, Rose. You held yourself back. You didn't say it. <laughs> I know. Thank you. But then I decided to say it on the podcast, which is to a much more public audience. Uh, but that, yeah, that must be a good feeling then, Lizzie, even if you're, uh, even if you're suffering now. No, it's, it's a really great feeling. And actually what's really interesting is, um, you know, normally when you're kind of training at a really high level, the, the gains that you make every single time you go out are, well, sec- you know, either none or very, very, very minimal, you know, one or two watts here and there. Um, and every week I'm gaining about 10 watts at the moment. <laughs> so, I mean, it was a very, very low starting point. Um, and I'm very, very slowly increasing my heart rate. Um, and also very slowly sort of my fitness is sort of, yeah, coming out of the depths of um, unfitness where it's been. But uh, it's really nice to see such big gains almost every time I get on the bike. So that's hugely motivating at the moment, even if uh, I do do spend most of my time bonking after quite short rides. And you're finally getting to enjoy all those amazing, spectacular scenery and mountains that's actually on your doorstep and has been on your doorstep for ages, but you haven't managed to enjoy them until this point absolutely i mean where where we are actually we live where um there's sort of we're a little bit higher up but there's this sort of thick fog that comes through geneva and today i sort of rode through it and then above it and then to the other side and then looking over towards annecy and the Côte de la colombière um and out towards the alps as well and it was just magical to sort of ride through this fog up into the sunshine and past it. And then obviously I had to come back to the fog, unfortunately, but it was really beautiful. And it's just, you know, I don't think you could pay me to wipe the smile off my face at the moment when I'm riding around. I'm just, you know, I'm I'm bonking hard, but I'm absolutely beaming. And it's, it's really just, oh, it's just so great to be back on the bike and you really feel the power of, the power of the bike and the power of exercise when, uh, when you can finally get out again. And we are looking forward so much, aren't we, Orla, to seeing Lizzie back up, back where she should. Not that we don't like you being on the podcast. We love you <laughs> well, being on the podcast. We cannot <laughs> wait to get rid of you. <laughs> no, I'm hoping you're going to stay with us. I hope you're not going to ditch us. <laughs> oh, it'll be so awesome. It'll be so awesome to see you back racing again. I can't wait. You might have to wait a while, but um, I can't wait either. Yeah, that's Yeah, that's fair enough. There's no rush, but you'll have strong cheers behind you when it happens. 
Yeah, maybe give me a couple of strong pushes might be appreciated <laughs> as well. Yeah, sold the cheers, give me a push. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, we're looking forward to see Lizzie uh, racing uh, next year, but there's been loads of, of moves, haven't there, among the teams, loads of transfers, um, some big key names who are kind of uh, riders that I think are really established with their teams are now changing teams and the whole structure of these teams are, are going to change. So uh, in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And we've got um, some fantastic uh, interviews that Orla and Lizzie have done. Uh, we've got a Backstead sandwich uh, coming up with uh, Zoe Backstead, who we promised actually uh, a couple of episodes ago that we would be speaking uh, to her, obviously, as the uh, junior road race world champion and the junior time trial uh, world champion and and her dad uh, Maggie Baxter who is um, not a bad cyclist uh, himself and will be DS at Canyon SRAM uh, next year and uh, one of the outgoing riders from uh, Canyon SRAM and that is Ella Harris who Lizzie uh, caught up with so that's that's all to come uh, but uh, shall we start off with all is news roundup. Let's do that, shall we? Because we have the Tour de France fam route to look forward to now Ooh. for 2023. So that was announced. And the key takeaways are we're swapping Paris for the Pyrenees, which there has been a lot of excitement about. So we're not starting in the French capital this time. We're starting off in Clermont-Ferrand. So we have a summit finish up the Tourmalet as well and a time trial to finish in Pau. So it's still eight stages altogether but a tougher route, really, um, which I think we're all excited about. And teams of seven instead of six. So I'm going to run through it very quickly for anyone who might have missed it. So we're moving the start to the Massif Central, which also means a bumpier start, as you would have imagined. The first stage is one for the punchy riders, really. Day two is harder still, with a finishing circuit containing half a dozen categorized climbs. Stage three should be one for the sprinters. Four is the longest of the route at 177 kilometres between Cahors and Rodez with three successive climbs in the closing 40 kilometres. Now, if you look at um, this kind of a circuit in the men's tour, we've seen the likes of Greg Van Avermaet and Michael Matthews winning um, here. So that gives you an idea of who it would suit. A tough but hopefully sprinters day in stage five to Albion. I say hopefully because we do want to see the sprinters as well. Similarly, punchy day in stage six. Stage seven takes us to the Tourmalet, <laughs> which I am beyond happy about. And we have a uh, closing time trial in Poe. Um, I love it. I know this is a news roundup, but I'm going to freestyle jazz it. What do we both think of it? I think it's uh, <laughs> wonderful that we're doing something so incredibly different to the first one. It's not a copy and paste. It is taking what's been good and um, making it even harder, punchier, I think, really. Mm, I agree with you. And I think, you know, you said it's not a copy and paste, but I think they have actually copy and pasted a few elements and definitely elements that have worked really, really well. Eight stages obviously works. Um, it's a good length. We've got a few sprint stages in there, a few mixed stages. Um, and I, I said this in, um, we did a sort of reaction to the Tour de France Femme, which uh, in the main podcast with Lionel, and I said that I wasn't sure about putting a time trial in initially, uh, and there was a lot of call from it from riders in the peloton, and I wondered whether, as a viewer, it would give the excitement that we all desire and what made the first Tour de France Femme 
quite so great um and i thought the only way that you could do it and it'd be successful would be to put it right at the beginning or right at the end of the race um and i think putting it right at the end will make it very exciting and i think only having that one mountain day will put a lot of pressure on the gc riders because they've got to be so so sharp every single day you mentioned how many stages there are for the punchers there all and it's up and down every single day nearly going through that lumpy area lumpy region in the massive central and they really have to be on their game there's so many finishes where um the climbs are all backloaded and if you if you miss a group then you know the seconds quickly tick down so um the likes of Annemiek van Vluten will probably be less happy with this route because there are fewer chances in order to gain the the big advantages on the big climbs of course there were two days in the 2022 tour where that was possible and there's only one day in this tour and it really comes all down to that seventh day and you've got to then be careful in that time trial you know depending what those those time gaps are you've got to be careful we saw Jonas Vingegaard nearly lose it all in the time trial in in the men's tour de France so I think it's really a recipe for another very very exciting but also quite different race I, th- I think also i mean these punchy stages in the men's uh side of the sport punchy stages are kind of contended by slightly different uh set of riders mm. than uh going for the yellow jersey but it's different in the women's side you know the punchy riders are also the yellow jersey uh contenders so you know as much as we say you know there's only kind of one uh big mountain where you can get you know loads of time uh, to gain those same uh, yellow jersey contenders are going to be competing all the way through uh, that week, which I think is fantastic. And also, um, w- one thing that I did love that they they kept was that kind of big build towards the finish because mm. that that was so exciting. Um, and I think obviously on the men's Tour de France, that um, Paris finish can come in for a, a bit of flack because people think it's kind of ceremonial and. Uh, you know, nothing gets decided on the very last day. So, you know, I think it's great that the women's Tour de France, it's uh, it's on the line right up until the very end. So it's very exciting. Also, I love Massif Central and Pyre- I'm very much a Pyrenees girl uh, more than an Alps girl. And I actually think that the Pyrenees, the, you know, the way that the climbs um, are uh, and in Massif Central, it, it suits... Um, the way that the women's peloton races uh, a lot more than the the Alps suits them. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's more going of the to be... riders as well, doesn't it? Mm. It's going to be yes. so picturesque yeah, and it's going to look so spectacular on the TV, which is also incredibly important, um, you know, for the viewers to bring them in. And as you say, Rose, still building towards its final two stages, I think is really important for the momentum of the race. And it also should suit Annemiek van Vleuten to have those two stages at the end. But the difference this year, or next year rather, is... This year she was ill for the first part of the race and she was given that opportunity really by the rest of the peloton to ride her way back into it. Not that she was ever out of it, but certainly she could have been put out of it. The course next year won't allow for that quite so much. She could well, or anyone like her, be, be well out of it by the time we get there. Um, that's not going to happen because it's Annemiek van Vleuten, obviously. <laughs> but what I also like is that as you alluded to there, this is one area where I really, really hope the men's Tour de France copies the Tour de France film. We all, so many of us at least, want to see a final stage that is racing for GC. And this is what we get in the women's race. I'd love to see that in the men's race as well, especially if we're not going to finish in Paris in 2024 and take it somewhere else. That's by the by. That's um, our sidebar cycling. You know, it's not the, the meat and butter of, of what cycling is all about. Um but that's one area where you would hope that they would look at it and think that's worked incredibly well. We know what drama that will deliver. Let's copy it for the men's, which I think is always fun. 
uh, when the women are leading the way, as ever. Um, anyway, on to other news. And we have had success for Femme Van Empel of the Netherlands. She won her first ever elite women's title at the Cyclocross European Championships. It was her first time racing in the elites category. And she finished 22 seconds ahead of teammate and former world champion Celine Delg, Carmen Alvarado, and 36 seconds ahead of bronze medalist Blanca Vass of Hungary. That was Van Empel's eighth victory of the season. What a season it's been for her. Um, Pauline Ferrand-Prévaux, the world champion of mountain bike and gravel, finished in seventh. And world champion Marianne Voss of the Netherlands, of course, finished in ninth. So it shows just what uh, a race it was that she won as well. And in the under-23 category there, Puk Petersi beat Lena Burkeer and Sharon Van Anroy to victory with Zoe Backstead, who we've got coming up, finishing in fifth. Away from racing... The French national champion, Audrey Gordon-Rago, has been posting about her recovery from a stroke. And I can't remember. I think we mentioned that in the last podcast, didn't we? We did. Um, but she had a stroke before the World Championships. And she posted um, her first major ride of 100 kilometres since the incident happened in September. She says that uh, she will need surgery, but she expects to return to the pro peloton next year, which is remarkable. Elsewhere, Amy Peters, the former world champion, who has, of course, been recovering from a training crash um, last December in Calpe, which left her in a coma until April, has begun walking again, which is wonderful news. According to her website, she started to take small steps. She can even ride in a side-by-side tandem, apparently. But according to the latest post, at least, she's still unable to speak as yet. She's also been having other setbacks. She's been suffering epileptic seizures. So it's still a long road for her and we still wish her all our very best wishes in her recovery. Um, The strength that she's shown already to get this far is absolutely humbling. It's amazing. Um, So we send all the love to Amy Peters. In other news, Chantal Vanderbrook-Black has announced that she is pregnant, expecting her first child in May 2023. Um, She, of course, announced her retirement in 2020. She was going to retire in the spring of this year, past, but she kept riding and extended her contract at SD Works until 2024 and has now announced that she um, will be filling at least some of that time with having a baby. So congratulations to her. And that was going to be the end of my news roundup. Um, However, there has been more racing, which Lizzie pointed out before we started recording. So Lizzie, over to you for the bit I forgot. I always forget bits. (laughs) Well, it was the very tail end of the season, Orla, so I'll forgive you. But um, just after we recorded the the last podcast, it was the the inaugural Tour de Romandie. Um, First stage run by Alanis Sierra. The Queen stage up to Tyon 2000, won by Ashley Mormon Passio. And the final stage won by Marta lack of Saratis at WNT and with the Queen stage Ashley Mormon also won the overall GC uh, beating Annemiek van Vluten into second place of course Annemiek van Vluten wanted to win on the Queen stage on her on her 40th birthday in the rainbow stripes um, but she wasn't able to with an absolutely phenomenal and inform Ashley Mormon Passio storming away to take the win who should have been riding into her retirement of course thankfully not who also should have been riding into her retirement (laughs) but she is moving teams which we will discuss uh, later on in the episode still guessing on fueling not sure what or when to eat or drink on rides that matter never again optimise your fueling strategy with real time glucose data actionable insights and personalised analytics we're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success.
Well, thank you very much to our title sponsors, Super Sapiens, uh, for sponsoring the Cycling Podcast. We're very grateful to them. They don't just sponsor the Cycling Podcast Feminine, but they sponsor the whole uh, family uh, of cycling uh, podcasts. Is cycling podcasts? I guess would be the easier way of saying that. Um, if you want to find out a bit more about uh, Super Sapiens and uh, how they can uh, help you with their continuous glucose monitoring, um, which can help tailor your fueling and training for success, then head to supersapiens.com. Now, we've already uh, kind of teed up that we're talking to uh, Zoe Baxted um, and, you know, just how phenomenal Orla uh, is she as a rider. I mean, her Palmares for a teenager is just it's something else, isn't it? I mean, she is almost already beyond description, isn't she? The ease with which she seems to have come through the junior ranks is exceptional. She's already created history she's the only rider ever male or female to hold four different world titles across four different disciplines um but i tell you what impresses me the most about her is her attitude she is she seems to really really enjoy it not just the racing the entire lifestyle and i'm sure family is a big part of that you know that it's something that they all come together with her older sister eleanor of course is a professional rider her mum has been um british national champion her dad of course for, former pirate bay winner and it seems like a really healthy family environment and it's really it's just a really encouraging thing to see that because we often see with um junior champions in any sport prodigies for want of a better word word that they can be quite troubled that it comes from a dark place she's just a joy you know she's just having fun and she's living her best life and it's a wonderful thing and she's really really excited about the year to come um and it was just lovely to catch up with her she's been settling in her new life in belgium and her dad magnus has been over helping her settle in for the past month um and just becoming a fully fledged adult ready to take on the women's world tour um so she took time out of a training day um to have a little chat with me so talk to me about the europeans at the weekend then cycling cross <laughs> oh don't feel that face what a recovery. Let's focus on the positives. To finish fifth after that was remarkable, wasn't it? Yeah, um, it it was. I've got to say, I, I impressed myself um, in that race. I thought when I crashed, I kind of stood back up and looked at my bike. And in my head, I said to myself, I was like, that's my race over. Because, you know, I, I hit the deck quite hard. So I was like, mm, am I going to get to like two laps in and basically go, mm, no, this is not something's not right. And yeah. But no, I, I kept going and surprisingly, the climbs were actually my strongest point of the whole course, I think. And I was making up a fair bit of time and positions on that. So yeah, I just managed to, I kept my head strong and I managed to fight to fifth to the end. And I honestly don't know how I did that. Because <laughs> you're pretty good, Zoe. I think that's why. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I mean, pretty good. There are understatements and there are understatements. The first cyclist in history to hold four world titles af across four different disciplines. Have you gotten your head around that yet? No, not in the slightest, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> really? But you can't have surprised yourself with any of that, surely? Um, I mean, the one I'm surprised with, my world title I'm surprised with the most, was actually the track. Tell right. That one, because I crashed two days before it, and I hurt my shoulder quite badly. But I still had the flight to to Israel to get there. And I was like, well, I'm going to just come and see what happens. If I if I can't race, then I can't race. I've just 
flown there for no reason. But yeah, I basically taped myself up and got on the bike and raced the Madison and I got off and I was like, hmm, maybe that wasn't the cleverest of ideas, but it was a good fun race. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> Whether it was clever or not, it worked. And of course yeah. you had the four titles already before going into the junior road race um, at the recent world championships in Australia. And then you backed it up and you defended that. How was that race in particular? Yeah, it was really good, really interesting because I never planned to attack like 10Ks into the race. That was never an intention at all. I what was the intention? Uh, honestly, if I could get away in the last lap, that would be great. If I didn't get away at all and I was just really, really marked over the race or, you know, like I basically was too tired coming into it um, from yeah the TT or whatever. Then I was riding for for other teammates, you know. I said to one of them going over over the top of the climb on the first time, I said, look behind you next lap when we go over the climb because we had a bit of a gap and we were a couple of riders away and then I basically managed to get away on the downhill and that was that. Yeah, it was interesting, but I really enjoyed it. On your birthday as well, incredible. Has it changed anything for you? Because you've been so successful anyway and... Obviously, given your world title last year and the performance that you've put in since across the different disciplines, anyone who follows cycling certainly will have known your name for quite some time and, and known what you can do. But it feels like with the worlds in Australia and the fact that we had those four world titles now, it feels like it's taken you to a different level of public consciousness. Has that changed anything for you, do you think? Do you notice anything? Not really, if I'm honest. Um, I just just be myself and yeah. I have my agent that basically goes, yeah, someone wants to do an interview with you. I'm like, okay, cool, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, I basically just be myself or like as much as I can. Yeah, obviously I get a little bit nervous at times when I'm at a race or I'm doing like quite an important interview or things like that. So yeah, that's that's changed a little bit in that sense. Um, but honestly, it's, yeah, I just be myself. I'd say that's a good thing. I'm glad to hear that. It hasn't added to any kind of pressure or stress then, has it? No, not really. So why EF then? You must have been flattered with several offers, I'm assuming. Why did you opt for them in the end? Um, well, I mean, the kits definitely are. <laughs> definitely. <on point>. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with it's you on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, just everything that they were offering and being able to do cyclocross and being able to do road and being able to do a bit of gravel if I wanted to do gravel or do a mountain bike race, do, yeah, basically be myself within within reason, you know. Everything that they offered for that, all the support, things like this, um, it just really, yeah, it was, it was what I needed. And I think it's quite a, a free team, so I'm not being tied down to doing one role, you know, like if the race suits you, then you will get an opportunity to ride. It's not like I have to be domestique for every single race this first year and then get some opportunities next year. You know, if if there's a race where it's like a slight uphill sprint or something like that, then that could suit me quite well. Um, and hopefully I'll get, yeah, an opportunity to ride there depending on what riders we've got with us. But yeah, I'm also really committed to, to helping out anyone in the team to get a win. You know, it's just, it's all about the team getting the results we need. We are hoping for some of your own opportunities in this first year then. I would hope so. Um, I feel like there's going to be a couple of races maybe where the sprint could be right or something like that. And obviously, if I get put in for a time trial, like a stage race with a time trial in or something like that, then the time trial is going to be one of my one of my favourite parts of it. So I'll obviously go 
full gas for that. Um, but yeah, I'm just happy to get some racing. You've become so dominant in the junior ranks, Zoe. What is that leap like to the senior elites? Because you've obviously ridden with EF for a few months already. It's not going to be a brand new experience for you. But what is what is that difference for you personally going to be like, do you think? Um, the biggest factor for me, I think, is going to be the distance mm-hmm. um, in the racing. Obviously, I train. I can do, yeah, over 100Ks. I can do over 140Ks. Yeah, like that's going to be no problem. But it's adding the speed in, adding the aggressiveness of the race, adding, yeah, riders attacking, doing this, punctures, crashes, you know, going back for bottles, feeds, everything like that. I think that'll be, it'll be, it'll take me some time to get used to at first. I think there'll be a couple of, couple of races where I might go, "Mm, you know, this was hard in this aspect, but not in this aspect. So yeah, just adapting to the length of the racing and the, yeah, distance, everything like that. Um, and then also being put into quite a big peloton with a lot of riders who are all fighting for the front row, um, going into a corner just in general. Um, that's going to be hard. I feel like I'm I'm okay with going through a bunch and I'm pretty good at riding in a group. So I'm hoping that I'll be okay there and it won't be like I'll just get stuck at the back or I won't be able to get through to the front or things like this. If the need, team needs me at the front, then I'll hopefully be able to get myself there. But yeah. Obviously, that's going to be, we got like 100 plus riders a, a field. So it's going to, yeah, it'll take a little bit to get used to, but I'm I'm ready for it. So given that, are you quite relaxed about this first year, first couple of years, maybe even being quite transitional and learning your place in the peloton and how it all works? Or are you, do you think, hungry for results all the same? Um, no, for sure. I'm I'm committed to the first couple of years just being find myself in the peloton, find myself in the team, figure out, yeah, what what I want to do, what type of rider I am, what races suit me, um, and then go from there. It is a really big step going from junior up into the world tour. So I've no doubt that I'm gonna be struggling a little bit. I'm gonna be out of my comfort zone in many, many things. But yeah, it's it's something I wanna do, go taking the big steps. So it's yeah something I have to I have to embrace, but I've no doubt that in a couple of years I'll be I'll be starting to find my way and starting to yeah hopefully get some results then. But we'll see. What's your ultimate wish list then? What are the races that you have marked in your head as the ones you want to tick off? Apart from all of them, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ronde van Vlaanderen, um, for sure. You know, classics, very much my thing. Paris Roubaix, definitely. That is that's one of the big ones. Um, other than that, there's not loads that kind of stick out to me. Like that's something I really, really, really want to do. But those two are the ones that I'm just like, mm, yeah, that's that's going to be my type of race. So that was a snippet of my chat with Zoe Backstead. It went on for ages because she's such a good chatter, and um, I don't um, stop talking very easily. So we had a lovely conversation. And so we are going to um, put together the conversation that I had with Zoe and with Magnus, and we'll do a bit of a Backstead special. I got to ask her all about what it's been like growing up with Eleanor and, and how she thinks that's going to work in the year ahead, because... You know, one of the things that I loved about the World Championships was when Zoe was 
already world champion again and she was there at the side of the road cheering on her sister and the next year she won't be cheering her on she'll be sharpening her elbows and trying to get her out of the way so it's going to be a really interesting dynamic so we've got plenty more in the back sets to come because it's a really fascinating family dynamic yeah we will be hearing uh, from your chat with magnus um, a little bit later in this episode um as well but um lizzie i mean uh, Zoe Baxter will be joining uh, your team next year. Oh, well, she was a stagiaire already, actually, for the team, hasn't she, been uh, this year? But, you know, f- joining properly uh, next year. W- what are you expecting to see from her? Um, yeah, what can we expect? Well, she was actually a trainee this year because she was under 18. So um, you can only be a stagiaire if you're over 18. So that, I think that firstly oh. shows the level of the talent. We're talking about, you know, a junior rider here who was joining, you know, she was joining when she was 17 and she turned 18 during this this past few months that she's been with the team. Um, and I think, you know, what I would normally say about a rider in Zoe's position is that I would be, cautious of them burning out but Zoe just doesn't seem to have that problem because she's just so chilled about it all she doesn't seem to um stress about everything and and similarly but also in a completely different way to to Anna Shackley I think she will very much just absorb life in the world tour because Anna Shackley is another um you know I'd say young British, huge talent who hadn't maybe had the the record that Zoe had had with the, you know, the number of world championships, but was a huge, huge talent who went straight into, um, into the world tour with SD Works very, very young. Um, but you could just tell by the way her attitude was that she was going to cope with it so well. And I think that's very, very similar with Zoe. She's so level-headed, nothing really seems to phase her. And I think that's very important, you know, taking it on the chin um, and, and not, you know, becoming anxious about, you know, your place in the peloton, whether or not you can be able to do it. She knows that these races are going to be quite long. She knows that it's a huge step up um, and she hopes to have some opportunities. And already in the first few months with the team that she's she's shown what she's capable of. Yes, admittedly, it's smaller races like Tour of the Pyrenees. Um, and a couple of races in Belgium, but she was winning bunch sprints coming fifth. Um, and I just think that, you know, that that shows that shows the form that's to come next year when she's thrown into the into the much bigger races. I mean, that is the thing about uh, junior riders uh, on the women's side. There is no, as we, we've talked about um, quite a lot about there's not be there's not an under 23s um, racing mm. uh, schedule. So um you, you do get these riders have to jump up from junior level and it does make me think about uh Pfeiffer Georgie because Pfeiffer Georgie was so dominant as a junior um you know similarly to Zoe you know every junior race that she entered it was just you know when you look at the on pro cycling stats at their results it's just like one 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 you know just a whole line uh, of victories uh, and it can be hard to find your way when you suddenly end up in these big teams and the you know the stages are longer the races are longer uh, the riders are just a little, you know, more competitive. They've, you know, they're more dedicated. They have the time to dedicate to their um, training. But it's great to see uh, Pfeiffer Georgie now, um, kind of establishing herself. It's taken a few years, and um, so I'm presuming that's what we're going to see from uh, Zoe as well. Just you know, a few years to kind of settle in, and then. Um, hopefully start seeing some results from from her. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing Zoe getting results next year. And, there, you know, there's absolutely no pressure on her to do so. But, um, you know, given given the performances that she already gave this year in 1.1s and 1.2s, I would not be surprised if we saw her getting those results in those races. And she is so, so hungry for it. Um, 
and it doesn't it doesn't seem like she's going to get affected by the pressure of it all which is one of the most important things because i think without that u23 stepping stone it's just kind of sink or swim um and some riders unfortunately just succumb to the the you know understandably the huge amounts of pressure um that come with making that step now i mentioned at the top of the show that there's a huge amount of uh, riders move it i mean like there is any season but i mean in this season it it really feels like there's uh, some very big transfers happening. Um, and one of the teams that caught our eye was Canyon SRAM because uh, they're a team that have a lot of established riders that kind of stay for very uh, for a lot of years. And a lot of their riders uh, are leaving this year. Uh, the likes of Lisa Klein, who's going to Trek Segafredo, Alice Barnes, who's going to Human Powered Health, uh, Michaela Harvey, who's going to UAE, and Elena Amilusic, who's also going to UAE. I mean, uh, some of these, right, I mean, Elena Amilusic has been at Canyon Sram since 2015. So it kind of, um, all, uh, how do you feel about it? I mean, it feels a bit like a, I say mass exodus, but I mean, a lot of the kind of established riders are leaving Canyon Sram uh, this year and the kind of the people they're bringing in are kind of new and young and, and neo pros. What did you make of that? I think it's good. I think Canyon Sram need a change. They need something to change essentially um and to shake it all up a little bit you know we've had these big names on the team and we've questioned quite a bit and not unfairly how that hasn't led to more victories um so something had to give something had to alter i'm not surprised by the riders who are leaving i'm maybe surprised that they've stayed for as long as they have um but i think it's good for the team you know i think they get fresh blood in i think they um, we'll be talking about it later, but they've, they've obviously got Magnus Baxter coming in as a sports director. That's going to be, you would imagine, from what he said anyway, and the plans that he plans to make. Um, it's exactly what they need. They've got the likes of Micah Vanderdown coming in. You know, she's a huge talent and she's had a great season and I'm really excited to see what she'll do there. So I think um, it was time for it all to swap around a little bit. And um, it can only be good for the riders who are leaving, the riders coming in and for the team as a whole. We do keep saying as well... You know, they're, they're a popular team. We love them. Um, I don't know what it is about the team. It's, it's you know, it's the development of it. It's, it's the fact they've been around for such a long time. You know, they're a mainstay of, of women's cycling. Um, they always put such a glorious effort into their kits as well. These, <laughs> these things matter. We want to see <laughs> that kit crossing the line in first position. And we want to see that happening more often. So, um, yeah, may, may the... May the breath of change shake it all up a little bit I think and I hope yeah we, well we say this but obviously they're kind of big star riders Kashinivia Doma and Lee Shabby are, are, are staying uh with the team and will be there Chloe Dyer don't forget and Chloe Di- yes I know I did forget because we haven't seen <laughs> uh haven't seen much uh from her um because of uh injury uh, we haven't really seen her on the European scene uh at all whereas I mean, Lizzie, she was kind of, um, a few years ago when she joined the team, she seemed to be, uh, they're kind of pinning a lot of hopes on her to to get some big results, I felt. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I was actually riding with Elise Shabby on the weekend and uh, I knew that we would be talking about this in the episode. So I discussed, I discussed it with her and, um, you know, she said sometimes she thinks that they're just missing a bit of a, a winner. And I, I do think there's a difficulty that Chloe Diger was hired to be one of those winners. You know, Kashi and Iviodoma was, is the, the, the winner in the mountains for the team. And Elise Shabby has obviously been developed into a, a potential winner in the mountains and a puncher. Um, 
but Chloe Daggett was sort of hired to be an all-rounder winner, someone who would always be there at the end, someone who could do crazy long breakaways. And unfortunately, she's, you know, just been out with injury after the horrendous crash that she had in Imola, um, slicing her, her leg open. And I think that's difficult because, you know, the the fact of the matter is a huge amount of budget will have gone towards Chloe Daggett. And that once that budget's used, it's used. And so they probably can't buy another winner. Um, and I would like to say it doesn't come down to money, but it probably does. So, you know, they're hiring, um, they're having two riders step up from their Canyon Tram Racing Development team, uh, Ricardo Baufind and Auto- Antonia Niedermeyer. And they're both incredibly promising Riders, uh, Antonia Niedermeyer, I think she won uh, tour of, the Tour of Ardèche this year. And uh, Ricardo's had a lot of very promising results as well. So I think that is really exciting. And then there's, you know, four or five other new riders, as you mentioned, Michael van der Down, who's had a really, really great year. And I think her combined with Shari Brassoit in the sprints could be really, really interesting. They've been unlucky as well with Cassia Neviadoma. She has had such an exciting season you know she's one of these riders who's given us an awful lot to cheer throughout the year and I think it's just really unfortunate um that she hasn't managed to deliver a win and and really surprising as well because when I think back to how her season's gone and I didn't you know if I weren't to focus narrow in on any results I would assume she'd had a win you know she's been up there so much and she's mm. been racing so she's always well. there um, yeah, exactly. And she always instigates as well. Exactly. And 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 this is another reason, I guess, why we love the team. It's because of Cassia, because she likes racing up, you know, and she's not afraid mm. to be aggressive and to take it on. So they've been unlucky in that respect. You know, a couple of wins that would have been well-deserved for Cassia Neviadoma and their entire year would have looked very different. Um, so they need a little bit of luck as well as um, fresh blood coming through. But... I wouldn't be surprised if they were to if they were to win a whole host of races next year. You know, if things just turn ever so slightly for them. No, absolutely. I mean, um, in a moment we'll hear my interview with Ella Harris, um, in which I said, you know, they were sixth overall in the in the team standings, and they had a lot of podium results. It was just that final that final kick that they missed, and perhaps it was numbers in the final. I don't know. Um, so well, I hope I hope to see them back to their winning ways next year, and I have a feeling that. Um, the input of Magnus is going to make a big, big, big difference. Well, shall we uh, hear from your interview with Ella Harris uh, now then, Lizzie? I mean, we know that uh, Ella Harris has signed two years with Nicole uh, Wahoo. Um, she's leaving Kenyon Sram, which is the only pro team that she's uh, ever known, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll hear from Ella now and uh, we talk all about her beginnings from Zwift Academy um, and when she joined the team in uh, 2019 as the winner of the 2018 Zwift Academy. And I speak to her from her home back in New Zealand in Dunedin. Well, it's Zwift Academy time of year, and that must take you back to where it all started, winning the 2018 edition and getting a pro contract in 2019. And that seemed to open the door to an explosion of talent coming out of the Oceania region, with Zwift Academy winners after you, such as Jess Pratt, Neve Bradbury, Jay Vine, Alex Bogner. How much of your success do you owe to the Zwift Academy? And do you think that you would have been able to make it out of New Zealand without it? Yeah, it's a difficult question, actually, because I think about, well, I don't actually really like to think about where I would have been and what I would have been doing if I hadn't have won the Zwift Academy, because I like to think that I would have made it into a professional team or got myself across to Europe. But realistically, thinking back to the position that I was in at the time, that was quite challenging because, well, it's not like my parents are completely made of money and flights to Europe and just 
living in Europe for a couple of months, basically having a cycling holiday, is extremely expensive. And I was working at the time at the local supermarket, and I'd already been on a trip to America that I'd funded um, myself. But it just seemed like a really big leap to try and get across to Europe. Even America was far enough, but to go to Europe, it seemed like quite a daunting and expensive prospect. Um, so because of that, like I think I probably, I would have gone to Europe at some point, but I think I would have only really been able to do one trip and whether that trip would have got me some results and exposure that would have then enabled me to join another team and slowly work my way up the ranks. Um, I'm not really entirely sure, but yeah, it's certainly Zwift Academy has just yeah opened up a world of opportunities for me so easily that otherwise I would have had to really scrap around for basically. And do you think that your success ha- has been a key driver for others thinking that they can do this and they can make that jump to Europe? Because like you say, it is so difficult to to fund it and to get over there and to get yourself seen when you're not in, in the racing scene of Europe. I think that the Zwift Academy has always lended itself to riders from Australia and New Zealand. So I think perhaps me winning it in 2018 perhaps inspired other people perhaps also from New Zealand to do it in 2019 and maybe also a few Australians because they might have seen a New Zealander winning it and they could probably relate to me in the situation that I was in. So I think, yeah, I probably did encourage a few other people to do it, but also the fact that I'm now in the European Peloton and there are quite a few other New Zealand riders also in the New Zealand Peloton, we've slowly, well, we've actually increased our presence quite rapidly over the past few years um, by about 300 percent um, i think <laughs> yeah yeah uh, but by various means whether that be the swift academy and we had like um Nee fisher black and then michaela harvey come up through bigler so somehow we we seem to have quite a few riders in the peloton now and i think that's also encouraging a lot more riders in new zealand to to give it a go and to make that trip across to europe to see how they can go and see if they can also get exposure. So we've got a couple of other riders also coming through the ranks now and starting to get noticed, which is really exciting. Like we've got Ella Wiley, who was riding for Park Hotel Valkenberg this year. And then there's Kim Kedza, who's riding for Jumbo Visma next year. So yeah, there are definitely riders on the up from New Zealand. So it's really exciting. And I think that the more riders we have in Europe, then the more New Zealanders back at home, they also see that. And yeah, they're encouraged to give it a go too. Well, you've been with Canyon Shram for four years and you're making a, a move across to Le Col Wahoo, which we'll talk, talk about in a little bit. But then looking at the highs, you know, back in 2020, which you said was a really good year for you, you you won a stage at the, the Women's Herald Sun Tour, uh, which unfortunately isn't going to be happening this year in 2023. It's cancelled already, unfortunately. But um, will we be mm. seeing you at, at the Tour Down Under in 2023 in your new in your new team kit with Le Col Wahoo? Well, I'm actually awaiting confirmation for that. But I think, yeah, we might be there. It's a bit up in the air at the moment, but possibly. I'd really like to, to be at Tour Down Under and Kid Elevens. It would be a good lead in for our nationals that we have in February. So, yeah, fingers crossed on that one. Well, one more question about Canyon Shram before we move on to your new team. Um, and despite finishing sixth, sixth best team in the world this year, the wins seem to have eluded the team with Paulina Royakas taking the team's only win in 2022. Now, why do you think that was? It's hard to say, really, because I feel like the team certainly has a lot of firepower. And we're always very present when it comes to to the big races and to different racing situations. We're always there and we're always in the moves. But it's almost like the team 
never can quite finish it off. And I think it might possibly come from a lack of direction, possibly, and a lack of structure within the team when it comes to race strategies, particularly in the moment um, from from the race car. Um, I know that towards the end of this year, we've been um, having, we've actually uh, got a new DS now, um, Magnus Backstead, and I think he'll do wonderful things for the team. And I've done a couple of races with him already, actually. Uh, and stepping in as the full-time DS for Canyon Stram in 2023. So I think that will be really exciting to see what he can do with the team because I think people don't realise how important um, a director is and I didn't actually realise either until I was in the car with Magnus. Well, sorry, I was in the race and Magnus was in the car and I thought, wow, he's, yeah, he's really impressive and he rallies the troops, I guess you could say. Gets everyone fighting towards towards the win and constantly um, in the moment, in the and keeps everyone concentrated and on the game and I think perhaps that's maybe what we've lost when it, what we haven't had when it comes to the last hour of the racing the team hasn't been able to quite finish the job off when we've been all over it in the previous three hours of the race so yeah I think that'll be interesting to see how how Magnus um, can can change the way that the team race hopefully for the better because yeah I feel like Kenya Strom have definitely deserved more wins this year and more big results, but it's almost just the cherry on the cake. We haven't quite been able to, to put that on there in the races and, and get those results. Well, you'll be stepping over to Lecole Wahoo and stepping out of the World Tour doesn't have to mean a step down. In fact, it's likely to open up a whole new realm of opportunities as your position in the team will change. So tell me about how your role will change at Lecole Wahoo and what opportunities that you will have there. Yeah, I'm really excited to be to be moving across to Lakowahu. Like you say, I don't really see it as a step down. I rather see it as not even a sideways move. I'm quite excited to actually see where I can take myself further um, in the future because it's been an amazing four years at Canyon SRAM. However, Canyon SRAM is all I know. It's the only cycling team that the the professional cycling team, only professional cycling team that I've ever been in. So. I don't have any experience when it comes to other teams. So because of that, I think going across to, to Lacole will bring a whole new environment. And with that, different motivation, um, yeah, different perspectives on certain things when it comes to cycling. So I think because of that, I'll be able to hopefully um, yeah, be able to really utilise that fresh perspective and change to, to bring myself further forward. And in terms of the in terms of the racing, I think I'm mainly just looking forward to, to being able to, to do races that I haven't necessarily had a chance to really to ride for myself or maybe I've been out of the race before it's really got to the crunch point because I've been doing a lot of work for the team. So I'm looking forward to perhaps saving myself a little bit more and seeing what I can, can do in races and also finding my confidence again because my four years so far has just been constantly marked by injury and I'd like to think that hopefully I can get a clean run of it at some stage and be able to find that form that I know I'm capable of and I've seen glimpses of in the previous seasons but I haven't been able to to use it and take the momentum from races because as soon as I get into good form it seems to last a while and then there's another injury and I'm never really able to, to get that momentum so it would be nice to be able to actually just have have a clean run 
get some good races on the board at Lakau do races that I haven't perhaps had the opportunities in before, and also races that I've never competed in before because I haven't done the Ardennes, I haven't done Flanders, mm. I haven't done any of these big races, so I don't really know what races suit me as a runner. So because of that, I just think the change will bring a whole new set of opportunities I think it's always a very significant moment when a, a Zwift Academy winner moves on fr- from their from their first team, which they won the Academy with to a new team. Uh, and it's clearly the right time for you. So I uh, just wanted to wish you the best of luck with your, your season next year. And I hope you enjoy the off-season. Thank you very much. It's been nice to chat. Shoot, shoot at the du peloton. Cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. Now, one of the things I love about uh, watching the Grand Tours on TV, watching on Eurosport, is not only uh, Orla's expertise uh, and knowledge of cycling, but also her fantastic outfits every day. They do they do get a lot of attention, your outfits, they do, Orla, don't they? They do, for better or worse. We'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, uh, Orla, you've got um, a crack team. Those ago, didn't we? How exciting a uh, prospect of, of someone of uh, his calibre and his... Uh, competitive and racing nature to have someone like that on board with um, the roster of riders that Canyon SRAM have at the moment. Yeah, I think it's really exciting because obviously he's proven himself as a racer, but that's a men's cycling and that's a little while ago. So it's a completely different landscape. What I love about Magnus is that he has been immersed in women's cycling for such a long time now, you know, and he's been um, with his eldest, Eleanor, and now with Zoe. He has been navigating the waters of women's cycling incredibly successfully along with them. So it's a world that he knows very well. He knows how different the racing is. He knows what the foundations of women's cycling um, are. And that's what he's going to bring to it. So yes, he can bring in his expertise when it comes to training and attention to detail and all of that kind of thing. But it's not like he's having to learn women's cycling for the first time, which is the case, or it may well be the case with other DSs or backroom staff who come from the men's side of the sport so he's got already that foundation if you like um, and he's got what sound like really solid plans for Canyon Tram. I'm really excited to see what he's going to do. Well shall we hear from him now? Huge job with uh, Canyon Tram, or it feels huge from the outside maybe maybe you don't think so so much. Um, no, it's just been interesting getting started and getting getting into, you know, how the team is running and, and the setups and potential new tweaks that, you know, I want to put into place and um just yeah, just absorbing all the information to start off with. That's the that's the difficult bit, um, you know, right at the sort of first month or so. Um and then obviously you got all the challenges of building race programs and um you know working with all the different riders and federations and etc etc so it's yeah a bit of a baptism of fire in the first month it's been a lot of early mornings and late nights but um, at the same time i'm absolutely loving what i'm doing so i can't i can't complain really so how did the job come about then um so i started sort of putting a few feelers out and um i was talking to um Emma Wade at one point and I said um yeah I'm, I'm possibly looking to try and find a find a seat in the car out in uh, in Europe again and um then I think uh, Ronnie and Emma met in uh, at the Ronde van Flandre um and yeah they got talking and all of a sudden uh, my name came into conversation and um two days later Ronnie gave me a call and said um oh, would you be interested in maybe doing a couple of test events with us to see how you fit into the team and so on and so on 
Um, and then, yeah, um, on that path we went and um, ultimately ended up uh, with, a, with a contract with a team to uh, to go forward. You have got so much, so much experience, Maggie, and it's not just from your riding career. It's your heavy personal investment in women's cycling and 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 the, the way that you've taken Zoe and Eleanor through the ranks, really. So this might be almost too big a question, but what what do you personally, professionally bring to the team that maybe they haven't had before? Well, I don't know. I think that's um, I I just bring me. Um, I try and bring a calm, um, focused approach on focus on details, um, put always putting the riders first and and um, trying to, you know, I don't want to change women's cycling because I think it's it it's um, we got to look at it with different eyes. Um, it's not, you know, the same as the men's sport, uh, but with women on the bikes, it's, it is different. And for me, I, I really enjoy that, that challenge. And as you were saying, I got a lot of experience, um, particularly in the men's side of the sport from racing myself, but then learning the sport from ground up with, um, my two girls and obviously having a wife that's, um, also former rider. So, knowing where the, the the sport has come from where it's at now and all the bits in between um i think i i've come in with a with a different set of eyes a fresh set of eyes on the sport and yes there are certain crossovers that we can still use and utilize from you know the men's side of the sport in the women's uh, especially from an organizational point of view but at the same time i think it's really important to just look at it as a clean sheet of paper and and really create something and you know, and and the, I think it's important to get that agile um, sort of platform to stand on because where we are now with women's cycling is we don't know what's going to happen in the next um, two years, six months, even the next two months. Um, it's moving so quickly that I think trying to build that platform that is robust but still agile uh, so that we can move with the change in time um as and when you know we get more investment into the sport and the teams grow and and get bigger and bigger the programs get more and more complicated because all of a sudden we're running double or triple programs which i don't think is too far away in the future really um i mean even now if if the money was there it would be quite easy to set up a, and run a double program um as long as you had the staff and the um you know the infrastructure in place and and the money available to do so so i th- i think it's just yeah it's it's just really interesting to me to 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 be in be involved in women's cycling at this point in time yeah it's a fascinating time and a really exciting time and as you say the sport has grown so much in the last couple of years and the consequence of that really is we're seeing more and more teams at the competitive end of yeah. bike racing we've got more teams who can win and consistently do win Canyon Tram is a team who always impressed me with their attitude and their development, just the kind of the vibe of the team anytime I'm around them. I guess the one area where the, maybe they've struggled is an important area, and that's in the winning and delivering those results. What do you need to change there? What can be changed there? I, I agree with you. They, they've always been competitive, always been right at the, you know, pushing for, for the win, but not necessarily converting uh, to wins. And, and that's something that obviously I've come in and I, I hate being second, um, um, whether that's <laughs> in the car or whether that's uh, anywhere else. It's um, I, I don't like that idea. So it's, it's going back to the drawing board and seeing, uh, looking at what do the riders need to, to be able to perform and, and take those wins and convert those 
you know, good results to to wins ultimately because I think all of the riders want it, the management want it, um, all the way up to, uh, you know, Ronnie, who's ultimately the team boss, who he, he wants it as well. So, yeah, we need to, I think, start focusing a bit more on the detail in preparation to go in two races. Um, what can we find in terms of training methods that haven't been looked at? Uh, start thinking outside of, um, traditional cycling and and I think more focusing on developing um, robust, solid athletes going forward. Um, I think that's ultimately where the change is happening right now within the sport in general. Um, and it's coming quite quickly, but I think unless you're on the bandwagon there right now and, and starting to look at these things and implementing new methods of training um, and not necessarily just on the bike, but outside of it as well. Uh, I think we, in that case, we'd be missing a, a trick and that's something that I'm pushing quite hard for to, to make sure that we're, we're on there and we're ideally ahead of the curve. So it's not just about targeting the wins, essentially. It's a more holistic approach to the training, to the approach, to the lifestyle, to everything, I guess. To everything, yeah. I, I don't think, you know, if we're just trying to change the tactics of how we win, I don't think we're going to be able to have uh, a massive impact um, and massive change in the, in the way things are happening. Yes, there are certain things that we can certainly improve there as well. But I think it, it, it all starts at the very, very ground level, base level. And that's where you build, you know, the, the broader the base, the higher the pyramid. So I think we have to start looking at that that sort of level already um, and then start putting the building blocks in place to to achieve that higher pyramid and um, ultimately step onto the top step of the podium. And what's next for you then? You're off to Spain, is that right at the weekend? Yes, off to Spain now for the Swift Academy finals. Um, and uh, yeah, looking forward to to that. And then it's it's full gas planning everything towards the uh, the new year and uh, off to training camps then in, in January. Um, and then the season is is coming around very quickly. It's, God, it's only a couple of months away. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Have you set yourself results goals for next year for the team? Or do you do that? No, I haven't set any any like goals as we want to win this race or that mm. race. Um, I've set goals in terms of how I want us to approach every race and with the preparation that we're doing for every race and I think if if we do that and we live up to those uh, standards that that we're, we're setting I think we will we will be there or thereabouts um, and I definitely want, want more wins than we had this year so we'll keep pushing. Uh, well, that was Magnus Backstead, uh, the DS uh, at Canyon SRAM from next year. What I thought was so interesting, uh, hearing from Ella Harris earlier uh, about some of the kind of uh, maybe the things that Canyon SRAM weren't doing right um, and hearing from Magnus Backstead that now, um, was that Ella Harris um, having had Magnus Backstead in the race car and have him as a DS uh, this season um, appreciated so much the amount of motivation he could give from the car, which is obviously was not something that Magnus actually actually mentioned in his interview with you, Orla. Um, so I thought that was so interesting that he kind of automatically gives the team a little bit of what they what they're looking for, a little bit of what they need, without even thinking too much about it. I mean, Lizzie, uh, as a racer yourself, you know, how how important is that direction from the car in the race? 
Incredibly. I think, you know, having a good director is one of the most important things. Obviously, you can be a natural born racer, but perhaps it's not something. I mean, I guess as somebody who's been racing and who's had different directors, I take it as a given um, the value in having good direction and having having somebody who's who's, um, you know, motivational, who's hard when they need to be, um, who's going to push you all the way and get absolutely the best out of you. Um, but not all directors do do that. And I, you know, there are, you know, a lot of brilliant directors out there and there are a lot of, or, a, you know, not so brilliant directors out there. There's a huge range, basically, like with anything. Um, and perhaps I didn't fully appreciate how um, that the other people realise the amount of influence that that, that that role has on how a team performs. Um, Ina Teutenberg, for example, is, you know, one of the best directors out there. Um, and I know when the, the Trek Segafredo team first formed, there are a number of riders who were instantly drawn to that team, not because of Trek being, you know, a huge main sponsor. Um, of course, that was one of the reasons, but because of Ina Teutenberg being the director there and them knowing exactly what she as a person could bring to the team. So I would not underestimate the difference that a director like Magnus Backstead can make, especially hearing from Ella, you know, quite how, how night and day it was with the direction that they'd had before um, and, you know, what it can do for the team and how it can change the mindset of the riders, the way that they race and the, what they do in the final. What I love, though, is that that, that isn't what Magnus thinks he's bringing. So actually, that's going to be huge added value that yeah. he doesn't even necessarily realise. Yeah, Exactly. And I, so much of it is just about the, the nature of the person, the personality of the person. Some people are um, just naturally driven and focused and, you know, they really want to get the best out of themselves in certain environments. And they, you know, they're so passionate about it that it just comes out in that environment. Um, and so he won't realise that, you know, maybe he or maybe probably wouldn't speak about the fact that that is such a good quality of his because that is just the quality of him as a person that he's passionate about things and driven um, and, and you know, wants those results quite so desperately. Um, so he'll be focusing on sort of the other stuff, but really the fact that he will be so great, I think it just comes with his own nature. It's built in, it's hardwired. The cycling podcast Femina is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport fueled by science. Well, thank you very much to Science in Sport, as always, uh, sponsors of the Cycling Podcast. Uh, if you're looking for sports nutrition, uh, whether that be hydration or protein uh, or recovery, then head to scienceinsport.com. And if you want to take advantage of 25% off your Science in Sport products, then use the code ORLA, S-A-S-C-B-25. Did you want me you to never say forget S I S C? Not solo. I'm not a solo. I'll artist. let you off. I'll let you off. No. <laughs> so S I S C P twenty five uh, to get twenty five percent off your products at scienceinsport.com. Uh, well, we've spoken about uh, a few of the major changes, the major transfers. Um, but other transfers, all uh, anyone that's caught your eye for next year? Well, Lizzie was going to talk about um, Ashley Milman Passio, so I'll let you kick off with that, maybe Lizzie. I think the fact that she's even staying in um, 
professional racing is a really really exciting because of course she was supposed to be retiring but b a real sign of how far this sport has moved on in just the last couple of years because the fact that there is enough of a sport and enough of a draw for her to stay in it is I mean, it's as it should be, and it's deserving of the talent that Ashley Milman Passio is. I'm delighted we're not losing her because I feel like we're only really seeing her at her very best. And it would have broken my heart to think that she'd be retiring in the form that she's in. Exactly, Ola. And I, what I didn't mention at the top of the show was that her win at the Tour de Romandie was actually her first ever World Tour win, which yes. is astonishing, really. Wow. I mean, it's just it's just a fact that doesn't seem right she's moving across to ag insurance next g and i think that's really exciting because she is going to be in a position where she can give back to loads and loads of younger riders up and coming riders and she has got just absolutely sackfuls of experience to give out she is such a a respected rider in the peloton um, and i just think that she's she's got a wealth of knowledge that deserves to be given whilst she's still on the bike Uh, in addition to that i think that it's really exciting for her to actually be outside of the the sd works um train (laughs) uh rain whatever you want to call it um can we say constraints? Constraints. I feel like it has yeah, been for her. I think or? so. Uh, because it's difficult. Because, of course, you know, Demi Vollering is a winner and she's proven herself to be a winner. And, you know, it's sort of the perfect storm for Ashley at Tour de Romandie because Demi Vollering had so unfortunately caught COVID just before the World Championship. She'd been isolated in in Australia for a week. She'd flown home. She still wasn't well. Um, and then she'd taken the start at Tour de Romandie not being 100%. Um, but that gave Ashley this perfect opportunity to show what she could do. And she was just in absolutely, you know, sizzling form off the back of the World Championships, where again, she had a phenomenal ride. So it was so, so great to see what she can do when she's unleashed, <laughs> unrestrained, um, and, you know, n- not, you know, sort of not having to conform to, to, what the rest of the team needs to do so she'll have that she'll have that leadership role uh the new team and i just think it's a very very exciting transfer it's her last year in the sport supposedly although this year was of course supposedly her last year in the sport um and i just think it'll be a chance for her to enjoy herself maybe do some new races that she's not done before try some things with her program um and, and i think that she'll get a lot out of uh, giving back to the younger riders in that team well we should say the ag insurance next g team uh is the team that they patrick lefebvre was meant to be having some uh uh level of influence in or cooperation with they were meant to be the uh the wolf pack the women's wolf pack um that they said it was going to be um but i remember actually lizzie during the tour de france uh fam you saying to me oh uh go and get a word with yoline door about um the team and uh because yoline door uh, is uh, DS there and, and was given kind of carte blanche to set up uh, the team exactly how she wanted it um, with a bit of new, more investment that will be coming for next year. Um, and I went and I was like, got a great interview with Yolene. I was so happy about, what did I do? Um, just formatted the card, <laughs> totally <laughs> <laughs> deleted it, wiped from the face of the planet. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure you told me but that, I, Rose. I think that, maybe um, you just didn't say that you ever. I don't think I did. I was thinking. I, I, I never, didn't hear that. I don't think I ever mentioned that you got. So what happens to it? But now the truth. I know. Comes I think out, at the end finally. of the the truth comes out. I did a great interview, and I was like, "Oh, this is so good." And if we don't 
use it now. We can use it in this episode, um, in the forthcoming (laughs) episodes, and just wiped, totally wiped. But uh, what I can tell you um, about what she said then um, uh, was that you know she. Yolene Dorr was so excited to have this prospect of being able to build a team, you know, pretty much from scratch. Obviously, they have an existing team, but it's kind of a, a development team um, to bring on um, bigger names and bigger talents and uh, kind of do something new and different uh, with the team next year. So, I mean, Ashley Mormon Passio is, is, as you said, Lizzie, like the perfect candidate uh, for that because she's got so much knowledge so much passion for bike racing and has been you know she's been a, t- a team leader before in you know the the uh, bigler days um and obviously was a f- super domestic pretty much at sd works and is now getting the opportunity to be the leader once again so she's a very very exciting prospect other exciting uh prospects for next year all are you going to Give me an answer yourself, or are you going to just throw to Lizzie <laughs> I'll go again? Back to Lizzie again. No, I'm joking. Um, I am intrigued uh, to see how Trek Segafredo get on next year because um, it's probably no secret they're one of my favourite teams, and I shouldn't have a favourite, but I maybe say that with every team. I'm like um, Bruce Forsyth. That's a very British uh, reference there, but everyone's my favourite when I'm talking about them. But Trek yeah. Segafredo, I love. Um, anyway, I think they do such an amazing job of forging their different ambitions and um, their teamwork is exceptional. Next year, they are gaining Amanda Spratt for one of Bike Exchange Jayco. They're also getting Lisa Klein from Canyon Tram. Brody Chapman from FDJ Suez Futuroscope. Um, and that's on top of who else have we got? Lara Sanguinetti of Alcor Travel and Service and Gaia Rellini, um, who'll be a Neopro. That's to add into the incredible mix that is Lucinda Brand, Elisa Balsamo, Lizzie Dagnan, Elisa Longoborghini, Ellen Van Dyke. Woohoo! That's going to be some team <laughs> next year, isn't it? Yeah, I think they're really, they're really think, strengthening yeah, their sort of climbing roster and their roster for having numbers in the end of the races. And when we get Lizzie Dagnan back, um, you know, back on the road again, of course, she's just given birth to her her second baby. Um, then they will have so many numbers and so many options and so many cards to play. So I think I think they lacked a little bit of strength in the hills, but obviously having Brody and Brody Chapman and having Amanda Spratt there and Guy. Raelini is a huge, huge young talent. I expect her to be one of the big climbers of the future, one of the winners of the Giro in the future. Um, so she'll be really interesting to watch her development over the next few years as well. And another team that are kind of strengthening their their winning options, strengthening um, their skills at getting their contenders right to the end of the race are Movistar, of course, because they, they've brought on uh, Liana Lippert and uh, Florty Mackay from uh, Team DSM. Um, what do we make of uh, of that coup? I mean, that, that those are those are kind of riders that are, have become synonymous with um, mm. DSM, or as it was um, the live team before. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think that's really interesting. I think it's really interesting, and it, they're they're not transfers that I saw coming. Did I miss anything? Um, I was quite surprised because, as you say, they they are names that we so strongly associate with that team, and it's one of those whereby it'll take me a little bit of time to adjust to them being on a different team and in a different jerseys and and seeing how they fit in with that but I think Movistar have quite a lot of financial power to mm. bring to women's cycling um which is a good thing I mean DSM is hardly without without money either um but it'll be interesting to see how they adapt to that because um 
it's a just it's just a very different setup, isn't it, from a Dutch team essentially to a Spanish team. Um, of course, Annemiek van Vleuten um, is there anyway for the Dutch element. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that's going to be. I think that's going to be really interesting. Movistar have been fascinating to watch in the last couple of years. Absolutely fascinating. Um, and obviously the Van Vluten effect has been huge and it has not just stopped with her, you know. She's she's brought so much to that team that it feels like they've got a good chunk of, of depth now and that's only going to be strengthened. So um, they're, they're a really exciting team now to watch and I always thought them as being a little bit left field you know when Van Vluten joined I thought it was a little bit left field but she's proven that it was the right decision to make um and we'll get to maybe see a little bit of the inside take on that in their Netflix <laughs> series as well <laughs> is is it a little bit uh, a move do we think you know bearing in mind that uh Van Vluten uh you know retirement is on the horizon is it a little bit moved by Movistar to try and establish I mean Leanne Lippert has been incredible in incredible form especially at the end of the season wasn't she I mean she's proven her herself performance to be at Worlds was absolutely exceptional. incredible like you know she was deserving of a lot more there I think um you know being in that breakaway at the world Cha- championships and doing a lot of the work and still finishing best out of that um that break um you know incredible performance from her are they kind of trying to set up a, a, a bit of a new stream of talent to come through for you know van vluten's inevitable um retirement uh in the in the coming years yeah i wonder if they're also just trying to spread their chance of winning as well because mm. you know obviously van vluten is a winner and you know that's that's without a doubt but her calendar her, the number of race days that she does isn't that large and of course she gets to pick and choose those races um and you know they have emma norsgaard they have elena sierra but they you know those riders need more help um they've shown over the last two years i think that they've become more and more well drilled as a team you know they've had much better cohesion working together as a team and i think that that is one of the things that team dsm does so so well um and liana lippert and virtue mckay have obviously come over as a pair so i think those two coming over will increase their chances in in the races that van vluten isn't in um in a in a much wider diversity of of types of races as well um perhaps in sort of like punchy races where it may have been difficult for van vluten to to pull it off alone um then she'll have the backup of these other riders as well but i think what they are missing looking forward to her retirement is somebody to fill that climbing role because there isn't really anybody that i see in their roster who can can kind of slot into her role as as well you know nobody can slot into Andy say, yeah. role, of course <laughs> but slot into her role that you know in a few years time slot, yeah. slot into learning the role that she is doing um you know as you know out and out the best climber in the world at the moment so i think they could really do with hiring you know an up-and-coming climber but right now with van vluten and that roster i think they've got everything Gosh, well, there's a lot to look forward to next year, isn't there? I mean, all of the way that all of these transfers are going to play out, um, I think that overall it's made their their overall it means there's a lot more teams that are going to be contending uh, the win, isn't there? Uh, but can you believe it? Um, this is the November episode of the Cycling Podcast Feminine. <laughs> that means we've only got one more episode uh, left uh, this season. Um, so I'm going to bid you adieu and uh, we're going to be back with Jingle Bells on, aren't we? Uh, oh, next can month. we have a Christmas quiz? Oh, yes. Of course. Excellent. I know I didn't get to do one uh, last year, of course, being uh, 
with uh, a newborn baby. Um, so I better have been saving up some motto or nottos uh, for next month. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll say thank you very much and uh, good night to you, Lizzie. Good night. But Orla, you're going back to the track, of course, we should quickly mention. Oh, yeah. I am indeed. She, yes, she's like I'm, one I'm foot out saying... the door right now. <laughs> one bum cheek <laughs> know, off the seat. I know. Um, I've uh, snuck away from the uh, velodrome in Palma where um, I'm getting ready for the first round of the UCI Track Champions League of this year. We've got five rounds this year. We're doing Palma, then off to Berlin next weekend, then Paris, and then a double header in London. And genuinely, it's an absolutely brilliant event. It is such a crowd pleaser. And I'm so excited to get stuck in again. So if you want to watch some track cycling over the next couple of weeks, do tune in. Like genuinely, right? I try to get my husband involved as a spectator in anything that I do because it makes it easier for him to understand what I'm doing. He never bothers. He never bothers. He loves the Track Champions League and I don't even have to like force it. So he's got the boys coming around tomorrow night to watch it again. And my friend Georg was also like, oh, it's starting again. Excellent, we're going to get beers and come around to your house then. I'm like, wow, you guys have totally bought into this. I love it. So it's, a, it's an absolutely brilliant event. So yeah, I do need to run back to Velodrome and get myself ready for it because um, otherwise you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. Paula, <laughs> <laughs> I can sense the excitement is palpable, but please, please, unlike you last year, please do not defecate on the track. Oh yeah. <laughs> what? Oh my gosh. Can you please put that into context? Please put that No, <laughs> just leave that in. Because I forgot night. what you were talking about. I have never defecated. Please, o- please see the, uh, the October, no, the November, no, the October uh, episode, I think, end of October, I thought beginning it was of Lizzie, November. You said episode. that you defecated, didn't you? I thought that was you that said that. I don't think it was from your mind. It was, it was me. It was me saying I defecated to the track. Yeah, please see the uh, end of October, beginning of November. Defected, of the, defected. Of the cycling podcast, Femina, yeah, last year. Can I please um, make it very clear that as far as I know, none of us have ever defecated on a track yet. As far as I know. If that changes, we'll let you know. We'll let you know. <laughs> but That'll I have no plan to do so anytime soon. <laughs> right, we better let you go. Thank you uh, very much, uh, ladies, for your company. And uh, we'll see you in December. Oh, lovely. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Thank you, Ola. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed, and Lionel Burney.